Good morning, Brown Corners. Are you guys awake? I'm not. That was all fake energy from right there to right here. I've had one sip of my coffee. I was not prepared for the time change. Probably because I only saw 75 posts on Facebook yesterday saying change of clock, change of clock. Spring forward, right? That means we lost an hour. It's my least favorite. I mean, I don't like the whole daylight savings time anyways, but the one where I lose sleep uh, is the worst. All right, so a couple quick announcements. Uh, in the youth ministry, in the Route 28 world, we have a lot happening. Um, we have a couple game nights coming up for our spring calendar. Uh, we have a Route 28 girls, it's, we're calling it a Growing with God garden party. Uh, we're going to build little salsa gardens so you can grow your own ingredients to make your own salsa. It's going to be great. Um, all of the information and registration forms for all of those are on the website. Um, and then today starts back up all of our discipleship communities. So we'll have classes in the morning happening, and then we'll have a couple classes in the evening. There is a brochure out in the foyer area at the Welcome Center with information on all of those classes. Um, and we also send all of that information out every week, uh, every Thursday, in our BCC Weekly newsletter. Um, so if you're not getting that BCC Weekly Send an e contact the office, talk to me, flag me down, send an email to bccweekly at browncorners.org um, because there's a lot of really good information in there. All right, I'm going to pray because I'm a little early morning time change frazzled for worship. So let's pray, church. God, you are so good to us. Whether we're alive, alert, awake, and enthusiastic or we're dragging our feet because we're tired, you're still good. Whether we're on the mountaintop and life's going good or we're in a valley and we're struggling, God, you are still good. Life circumstances change, but you don't, God, and we're grateful for that this morning. And as we spend some time worshiping you, God, I just pray that you remove distractions, that you quiet our hearts and focus our minds so that we can worship you for who you are. We're so grateful for that today. In Jesus' name. Church, will you stand with us if you're able, and Jen will lead us in the call to worship. Today's call to worship is Hebrews 12, 18 through 19, and 22 through 29. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, and now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaking, shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, 
Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. sisters throughout the world 
who are facing constant trials and tribulations, not only of the spiritual sense, but of the physical as well. They're gathering and worshiping our Lord and Savior under the threat of physical harm, yet they continue to pursue their faith in Christ and to strive to do their part in fulfilling the Great Commission. And the church is thriving in so many of these dark places. May the Holy Spirit fill my brothers and sisters around the world with his power to remain strong in their faith as they stand against the weapons of the evil one. I can say water's raging at my feet. I can feel the breath of those surrounding me. I can hear the sound of nations rising up. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. I can walk down this dark and painful road. I can face every fear of the unknown. I can hear though God's children singing out. We will not be overtaken. Greater thing. 
bow in prayer together, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we're here because of you. We're here to gaze upon your beauty, your glory, to stand in awe of you for who you are. Father, may a God-centeredness encapsulate everything that we do. God, forgive us for compartmentalizing you to Sunday mornings or to a, a, a few moments of daily devotions. May, may our lives be, be swallowed up in worship of you. From the time that we rise up in the morning to the time we lay our head back on our pillow at the end of the day, may the things that we do and say, the, the places we go, the people we talk to, where we work, how we use our money and time. May everything be, be enriched with a God-centeredness. Father, we long, our, long for our lives to be wholly given over to you and to your mission that you've given to us here on this earth. May what we do here this morning Prepare us for what you've called us to the rest of the week. God, we, we want to lift up your name and honor you in all that we do. And I pray that as we, as we study the scriptures, that you would continue to draw our hearts to you and give us understanding and, and, and strengthening as we, as we seek to hear from you, oh God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome. We're glad to be worshiping together with you today. We're glad to be able to sing, your, sing the praises of our Lord and Savior together and to lift high his name. And I pray that um, God has already encouraged you this morning and will continue to do so as we look at his word together. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6 here shortly, but I um, want to say a few things this morning by way of introduction. Um, I, as I was leaving the house, I, I couldn't find my iPad, and I usually preach, have my notes on an iPad, and so I thought rather than waking everybody up and flipping on all the lights, I was just going to come here and, and print off my sermon notes, and, and Nico said, um, Dad, have, have you ever done that before? <laughs> And I said, well, contrary to popular opinion, iPads have not been around uh, forever. <laughs> I, I did grow up in a day and age where we relied quite heavily on paper. We can do so again. Uh, today we begin a new, a new sermon series. I'm excited about this because I've been thinking about this now for the last couple of years, really. Uh, as most of you know, a couple of years ago, I started a, um, a doctoral program through... Uh, evangelical seminary and have been really uh, the, the, the primary focus has been studying around just in thinking about uh, why it is that, that the church in America struggles with making disciples um, and 
kind of looked at things from a few different angles, and you know, we've, we've talked about discipleship a lot over the last couple of years, and so I know that you're very familiar with what discipleship is, and I think there's a lot of reasons why churches don't uh, disciple. I think some of it has to do with understanding what discipleship is. Um, many have never been discipled themselves. A lot of us think it's the idea, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a classroom activity, that that's what happens Sunday mornings during Sunday school, and it's it's not my role and my job to think about that throughout the week. I think there's a lot of misunderstandings and misconceptions, but, but one of the, the, the beliefs that I've landed on here, and I think, I think as, as we go over the next few weeks, hopefully you'll see where I'm coming from, is I think one of the reasons that the, the American church struggles with helping make disciples, helping others follow Jesus, raise up followers of Jesus, is, is our theology, and uh, that can be kind of a daunting word, a theology, depending on what your upbringing, what your background is, uh, what you've read or haven't read. Uh, theology can be kind of a, a word that we feel like belongs in the, the ivory towers. We can leave that to the eggheads, to the, the professor types that, that are up there thinking about things that really don't matter to our daily lives. We, you and I, we live in the trenches. We, we do real life, and theology is, is for, for those people, the, the, the philosopher types. Um, but I want to, I during our time together, sort of dispel that notion, and um, I want to show how theology is incredibly applicable. We're calling this, this series Theology on Mission. And uh, I want to just sort of answer that question this morning before we, we get into the nuts and bolts and kind of do a deeper dive into things. I want to ask the question, what is theology on mission? What does it mean uh, to have a theology and what does it mean to uh, go on mission? Because yeah, what I believe here, and I'm sort of giving you my thesis here at the outset, is that I believe that when we, when we truly know God and deeply dive into his word and know him for who he is, for who he is not only is it going to, it's going to lead us to worship, we could talk about that, it's going to, it's going to change our lives because we're, we're seeking to understand Him and His will for us, but I believe it will also propel us towards others in the mission that God has given us, that is, in making disciples. As we know God and His heartbeat for humanity, as we know Him more and more and more, it will change us from the inside out, and we will long to move towards others in this disciple-making venture. Well, we'll talk a little bit about what we mean. The, the first thing I want to answer, though, this morning is, what is theology? Uh, it's, it's a, if we want to just define it in its simplest uh, terms, it's, it comes from theos, the, word, the Greek word for, for God, and ology, the study of. You, you know biology. Bios is the Greek word for life. Biology is the study of life. Theology, in, in its just simplest definition, is, is a study of God. But it's, it's more than that. I love what uh, Thomas Aquinas, how he has defined it. Uh, in, in fact, he didn't actually say these, this word for word, but this is a summary and, and one of, uh, that, that has kind of generally been attributed to him. Theology is taught by God, teaches about God, and leads to God. You can see now by this definition that it's a, a bit more meaningful. Theology is not just a, a, a dry, dusty word that's reserved for academics but it begins to be real life. We're, we're talking about uh, what it is to be taught by God. When we come to the scriptures, we should come expectantly, looking to hear from him, hoping that he will speak. And, and he longs to. He has spoken in, in his word. He has communicated his will to us. 
And as we open up the Word of God, uh, we should have an expectant heart to be taught by God. Theology is not just being taught by God, but it's, it, it teaches about God. He is the center point, the, the focal point of theology. As we said uh, back a couple, a uh, well, number of weeks ago, God is the, the, the main actor in the story. As you pick up the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, it is first and foremost and primarily about God. When we open up the Word of God and expect to hear from God, we learn about God. We seek to know Him more deeply. And then theology leads us to God. It's taught by God, it teaches about God, and it leads to God. If by studying God and His Word, the focus is constantly upon me, then we're off base. We're not doing theology correctly. Theology ought to lead us deeper into a relationship with God. Joel Beakey and Paul Smalley define theology this way. I can't remember if I put it on a slide. Yeah, the author- It's the authoritative knowledge and wisdom revealed in God's word concerning God so that we may joyfully live unto him through Jesus Christ. As we seek to know God through his word, it should transform us and then propel us outward towards others into this, this joyful living that seeks to build others up that we may know God and know his mission for us. Whether you realize it or not, everyone is a theologian. R.C. Sproul has a book titled that, Everyone's a Theologian. All of us have some thought, some opinion, some idea of God. Even, even in some sense, an atheist is a theologian. They have ideas about God or not God, but uh, those of us who know him through his word, who've been saved by Jesus Christ, ought to be the kind of theologians that that understand the scriptures, what they mean, and how they apply to our lives. The natural question, after answering what is theology, is why should I care about it? Um, in my opinion, theology gets a bad rap. For many, it feels like it's too boring. Like, oh, are you kidding me? That just sounds like heavy, huge textbooks to me. And I, I just, man, I get PTSD from my college days. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. I, I want to I want to read the Bible, but don't, don't, don't bring boring stuff. Listen to me. If we're talking about God, if the main focus of doing theology, of, of studying theology is knowing God more deeply, and we get bored, whose fault is that? I mean, bored with God? When we encounter God, we shouldn't be yawning. We should be worshiping. We should be in awe, wonder, worship. Theology also gets a bad rap because many feel like it's too divisive. And it has been. Theological issues can can cause fights, have caused fights in churches. Uh, I read a story this week about a man who was a deacon in his local church, and he went out for a walk. And uh, he was walking across a, a bridge there in his city, and he saw a guy on the edge just about to jump over. And so he ran over to him, and the deacon said, hey, don't do it, don't do it. The man replied, well, nobody loves me. The deacon said, hey, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. The deacon said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. Hey, me too. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. Hey, me too. What denomination? He said, Baptist. Hey, me too, replied the deacon. 
Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist? Hey, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. Hey, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region. The deacon replied, hey, me too. Now, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? And he said, well, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. The deacon looked mortified and shouted, heretic, and pushed him over. (laughs) Just that close. So often, theology can lead us into that kind of place, right, where we feel like, oh, man, I've, I've heard these arguments. Some of you have even been a part of church splits that were, that were maybe not over the color of the carpet or the, the type of musical instruments used on stage, but were over, over seemingly important doctrinal issues. I know I was. The church I went, went to when I was a kid uh, split up over at least what what appeared to be a doctrinal issue. I found out there were kind of other personality issues lying beneath it. Um, so theology can get a bad rap because it's like, hey, I don't, I don't want controversy. I, don't need to, I just want Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Well, I think we can, we can have both theology and Jesus, and it doesn't have to be like our deacon friend here. Um, and also theology gets a bad rap because many feel like it's not meaningful to my everyday life. Listen, I've got kids to take care of. I've got a mortgage to pay. I've got unbelieving co-workers that mock me for my faith. I, I got, I've got real life to live here. I don't have time for doctrine. Well, as we're going to see, I, I pray during this study that the two are not mutually exclusive, that theology should, should impact our daily lives. Theology is essentially about God. Doing theology is simply serious reflection on the Scripture. If you care about studying the Word of God and about knowing God, then you're already doing the work of a theologian. Think about the words of David in Psalm 27.4 when he says this, I have asked one thing of the Lord. This is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking Him in His temple. That's doing theology. David wanted to gaze upon the Lord. He longed to see God, not just physically when he got to heaven one day, but he longed to know God in a way that that he could call it, I'm I'm gazing upon Him, I'm reflecting deeply upon Him. That's, That's theology. Someone else summarizes it this way, theology is biblical wisdom that promotes God-centered wonder. And as we're going to see, theology shapes then and informs our mission. What I want to do is take a few moments from Isaiah chapter 9 and look at an illustration of of how this plays out. I'm sorry, I said chapter 9. I meant Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Some of you may, may be familiar with Isaiah's call to ministry, and that's what this chapter depicts. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, 
and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings, and with two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. And one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who will I send? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. In these verses, Isaiah has a unique and a powerful encounter with God. Unlike probably anything that we've ever experienced. But before we divorce or separate Isaiah from what we know, what what we experience or can experience, we need to realize here that Isaiah is is meeting God in a profound way. But you and I, each time we come to the Word of God, we get a chance to meet with God. We get a chance to see God. We get a chance to behold Him, to worship Him, to be filled with awe and wonder. I'll concede that the sights and the sounds of Isaiah's experience were certainly powerful and unique. But may we never think that Isaiah, in his encounter with God, was so separate from what we can experience that we just write it off. Isaiah encountered a holy God and was transformed. If we believe the Bible, and we believe that as New Testament Christians, unlike Isaiah, we've been given the indwelling Spirit of God, we've been given the Word of God, Isaiah would not have had Genesis to Revelation. One could argue that that our condition is, is far superior to that of Isaiah, being on the other side of the cross, being those who have been redeemed and bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've, we've seen the, 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 the saving purposes of God unfolded in, in Genesis through Revelation and have a unique perspective from where we stand. Now, we may not be in the throne room in a, in a very real sense like Isaiah was, but each and every time we open up the Word of God and go on our knees before Him, we have a chance to encounter God in a powerful way. And Isaiah, as he encountered God, it says that he saw the Lord high and lifted up. This is the word for, this is the word Adonai. 
It was a title, not a name. It means sovereign one. Isaiah saw the glory of God. It says he saw him high and lifted up. Isaiah acknowledged immediately the supremacy of God. The sovereignty and the holiness of God. When we think of God, we shouldn't just think of ourselves and then say, okay, I'm going to think that of someone better. Like use us as the, the starting point and then say, okay, if I'm trying to picture God, I'm just going to try to picture like the best version of us. That, that, that's not possible. God is in his holiness and in his sovereignty and in his majesty and in his glory. He is far and away above his creatures. Isaiah was in this place where he couldn't even put into words what he was experiencing. He sees him in his robe. It says the hem of his robe filled the temple. That robe indicates a regality, a splendor. He saw this, this heavenly scene laid out for him that just left him speechless. He sees the, the seraphim, and we don't really know much about the, the seraphim. We, we do know that they're not chubby babies with wings that show up on um, around Valentine's Day, there, there's, there, was this, there was this splendor about even the beings that worshipped him there in the, in the temple. And he describes them in verse 2 with their wings and, um, and just that, that otherness that he was seeing there in the, in the throne room. And he listened to their song. And he heard this song, this refrain said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. There was this threefold emphasis of the holiness of God. You know what holiness means? Holiness is, 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 a, is a separateness. A, 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 he stands out head and shoulders. He's, he's perfect in all of his ways and spotless in his character and in his actions. And we see here that the beings around the throne were pointing to a character, an attribute of God that Isaiah couldn't completely understand. He felt the foundations, verse 4, of the doorway as they shook at the sound of their voices. The temple was filled with smoke. You get here a picture of, of this, this fearful encounter. This, it, it struck some terror into him. But we see that this encounter led to a response in verses 5 through 8. His first response was, verse 5, woe is me for I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. As Isaiah encountered God, he recognized his sinfulness. As we meet God in, in his word, as we spend time encountering God, we're not going to be inclined to um, promote ourselves. We're not going to suggest that God goes and checks out our Facebook page and look at our resume and see the things that we've done and things that we've accomplished. 
When we truly encounter God, it, it unravels us. Isaiah recognized immediately that he was a sinner. He needed salvation. He needed God to intervene. There was a great conviction and repentance. The coal that was taken with the tongs and touched Isaiah's mouth was a picture of, uh, of his sin being atoned for. He said, your iniquity, the, the seraphim told him, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. You see, when we encounter God through theology, through the study of his word, through deeply reflecting on and thinking about who God is and what he has done, it, it should grip us to the core. Like, like when we pick up the scriptures, and, and I don't know what it is, if it's distraction, if it's unbelief, if it's a, just an indifference, we can sit down in our Bible reading and pick up Genesis chapter 1 and in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it can be just a, a verse. Okay, okay, Bible says God created the, the world and everything, everything in the universe. Okay, next. And there's, there's no shock value for us. We're just kind of like, okay, okay. Or, or we, we, we hear the story of the Israelites being delivered out of Egypt, and maybe we've heard it so many times, or maybe we just are not using our imagination, or we're not allowing the Spirit of God to illumine our hearts, but we read about this miraculous deliverance, the sea parting, and we're like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that story from Sunday school, the cool flannel graph and everything, and we shrug it off. We we hear God speaking to Job. Who is this who darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? And we think, boy, he kind of put Job in his place. And we move on. We pick up Luke chapter 2, and we hear of this virgin giving birth to a son. And we think, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the Christmas story. Speaking of that, I got... Christmas presents I need to start thinking about. And we move on. So often, our encounters with God are not really encounters with God. They're encounters with words on a page. We don't take the time to meet Him. We don't take time to encounter Him. Because I believe when we do, He changes us. He grips our heart. He moves us. He, he convicts us. He, he astounds us. But all too often, these encounters, rather than change, rather than conviction, rather than wonder, they're met simply with a yawn. But what happened to Isaiah when he encountered God? He was convicted of his sin. He repented. God began to do a work 
in his life. When we come to meet God, he longs to change us. When we, when we practice being theologians, that is, when we dive deeply into God's word and spend time understanding the, the deep truths of God's word, I believe that he does not want to just give us brains filled with knowledge that we can argue about or blog about. But I believe that he longs for that knowledge to change us. Just as Isaiah was convicted and brought change, God longs for his word, for theology, for encountering God to bring about deep change. But no, notice that it didn't just stay as a heart change. Like that is, Isaiah's encounter didn't just make him a godlier, better person. It should do that. Look what happens in verse 8. He says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who will I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. This is my hope for our study as we walk through this. That as we come to know God more deeply, more intimately, that our hearts are spurred on toward mission. Isaiah, Isaiah didn't just say, I'm going to go home and write a book. He didn't just say, I'm going to go home and, and think about this and keep this to myself. He was, his encounter with God spurred him on to mission. You see, you and I, if we've met Jesus, we've been given a mission. We've talked about it a lot over the last couple of years. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just like Isaiah, if if you're a follower of Christ, you've encountered God. Your heart has been changed by God. Jesus has saved you through faith in Him and His finished work upon the cross. In His resurrection, He has said, now go. I believe that one of the things that we need as believers is a fresh encounter with God. It will reinvigorate us towards mission, towards moving towards others in, in disciple-making relationships, towards pursuing hearts, just as God has pursued us. Our prayer should be that of Isaiah. Lord, send me. How can my whole life not be consumed with you and making you known? I love that the way the Apostle Paul put it in Philippians 3.10. He says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul said, I want to know him. And that knowledge didn't just make him this arrogant, argumentative guy. That knowledge didn't just stay in his mind and swelling his brain. But that knowledge propelled him on mission to where the work that Paul did changed the, the known world. 
places where the gospel and, and, and the good news of who God is and what he has done had never been named and never been known spread because Paul encountered God, and that encounter led him on mission. So here's my prayer for us. Number one, that we, we have a, we're not afraid of theology. We understand that it simply means diving deeply into the Word of God, knowing Him more intimately, or as Aquinas said, being taught by God. Uh, theology teaches about God, and it leads us to God, that we might draw close to Him. And as we get closer and closer to Him, we're propelled outward on mission to do what God has called us to do, not just come here once a week and, and sing and, and listen to the Word and, and have a cup of coffee and catch up, but come here to know God so that we might go out into the world. Jesus has told us, walk along with his disciples and he said, look out to the fields. They're white unto harvest. 2,000 years later, it still hasn't changed. There are so many without Christ. There are so many who need the good news. So many in our own circles and so many around the world. May we encounter God and may it lead us outward on mission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us a hunger and a deep desire to know you. Father, you know the battles that we face. You know the distractions that come our way. We are busy. We have technology and media that that are bombarding us all the time, vying for our attention. We have short attention spans. And Father, we confess that sometimes coming to your word seems cumbersome, or lingering long over a passage and prayerfully reflecting upon it, going to our knees, in the quiet of our home, in worship, and in wonder, and in awe. It seems almost like a, a pipe dream. Father, I pray that it would be our experience, our reality, to meet you, that we would come expectantly. Lord God, you long to be known. You, you want us to know you. You want us to spend time in your presence to have the passion of Paul that, that we may know you. So God, give us that yearning, that desire, and make us aware of those things that, that distract us, that pull us away from the good work of gazing at you and your temple. And as we encounter you, God, we... We long for you to change our hearts and lives. We pray, Father, that you would give us hearts that are ready and willing to go forth. That like Isaiah, after his encounter with you, our, 
our cry, our genuine heart cry, would be, here am I, Lord, send me. Now may Yahweh, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, who never faints or grows weary, may this God increase and renew your strength so that you can go on walking faithfully, whether in the light or in darkness. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray all these things. Amen. God bless you this week.